Before we get started, this podcast will cover potentially triggering or sensitive topics associated with sexual assault and harassment. For this episode, we reached out to friends, co-workers, and drew from our own experiences as women in technology. Today, we are going to share a series of stories from their perspectives, so we ask that you please be respectful as we share these accounts. We applaud their bravery in speaking up and hope that by sharing these stories, you will realize that you are not alone and that this gives you the confidence to speak up if any of these experiences happen to you. If you or a friend need a resource to reach out to, please contact the hotline 1-800-656-4673 or go to rainwith2ends.org. to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast created by women in cybersecurity for everyone. Welcome to our Halloween special episode. I'm Christine. I'm Connie. I'm Lauren. I'm Deanna. And I'm Rebecca. In this episode, you will hear seven true horror stories that our friends, co-workers, and even our own co-hosts have experienced. This is not intended to exploit their accounts for shock value. Our intention on Her Hacks is to inform women of the darkest aspects of tech culture that occur while simply existing as women in a male-dominated field. This episode is dedicated to all the women who identify with the following accounts. Let these stories empower you in knowing that you are not alone. Story 1 dinner and the show. The following story is about our Her Hacks co-host, Christine, who will convey her own experiences. Christine was young, naive, and trusting. She had no reason to expect that anyone close to her, especially a work colleague with a government security clearance, could have a dark side. I had just started a new job, and it had felt like my dream job. All of my hard work to break into the field of cybersecurity had finally paid off. Because here I was, at a prestigious company with seasoned hackers that would teach me everything they know. I would spend my days learning about different cyber topics and all of my weekends working on Capture the Flag, or CTFs as we like to call them. Mike Sikorsky's Practical Malware Analysis and Chris Eagle's The Ida Pro Book traveled with me everywhere I went. To most, Christine probably seems like a bubbly young hacker, eager to learn and dive headfirst into the world of security. But for predators out there, they saw fresh meat. One weekend, while playing CTF with my coworkers, I met the lab manager. I thought he was super nice. He was telling us how he started his career at the coveted Bell Labs, and then he'd been at this company for many years. He held a high position there, and he knew a lot of leaders, especially in my direct line of management. He even offered to my friend and I, both recently hired young women, to tell us about his career sometime over dinner and give us some advice. I was so excited. I thought this was such a great opportunity to network. Getting lunch or dinner with colleagues was something I was used to. I'd done it at previous jobs and in college, so it seemed completely normal to me. Little did Christine know, this was anything but normal. After a long weekend of playing Capture the Flag, I got to work on Monday and I noticed my practical malware analysis book was missing. Even though Christine distinctly remembered putting the book in her bag at the end of the day, after all, It went everywhere with her. I remember thinking, 
I don't want to forget this as I put it away, but who knows, maybe I had truly forgotten it. So after checking my desk at work and my car and my apartment, I thought maybe I left it in the lab. So I emailed the lab manager and I asked him to take a look for me. He emailed me back right away. Yep, he found it and he suggested that I could grab it sometime after work that week and then I could take him up on his offer to give me some career advice, maybe over dinner. Perhaps it was too coincidental that Christine left her book in the manager's lab or maybe her book was taken. I told him that worked for me. He suggested that we meet up Thursday evening that week and he gave a location and sent me his cell phone number so I could text him when I got there. Again, everything seemed very normal. That is, until I got to dinner. That Thursday night, from the moment I arrived at the restaurant, the vibes were just really off. First, we lived in a very busy metropolitan area with tons of restaurants. And usually you would see people in full suits having fancy dinners outside when the weather was nice. But this restaurant was kind of out of the way. I remember walking past a bunch of restaurants that looked really good and none of them being my destination. But hey, hole in the wall places are normally pretty good, right? The next thing that was weird was the attire of the waitresses. They were all dressed up as flappers and their outfits were more akin to a burlesque show mixed with hooters. It seemed a little weird for a business dinner, but hey, maybe the food was really good. Well, if it was, it was not memorable. The main thing I remember from dinner that night was feeling uncomfortable. The man who I thought would be giving me career advice instead talked about his recent divorce and kept pushing me to order multiple drinks even though my first one wasn't even finished. He offered to drive me home, and again, I just felt really weird, so I acted like I was meeting a friend so I could get away from him. And no, it probably goes without saying, but I did not get any career advice. Honestly, at the end of the night, I was just relieved that this awkward experience was over. Or so she thought. Over the next couple of days, This man would not stop texting me, telling me he wanted to cook dinner for me, he wanted to watch TV together, incessantly proposing different hangouts. But this man was literally double my age and was old enough to be my father. It felt like he was trying to be more than that, and it just made no sense. He had even talked about his daughter, who was maybe a year or two younger than I was. So did he not see how weird the whole situation was? I just felt so uncomfortable, but because of his position in the company, I felt like I couldn't ignore him. So I would reply and just say, oh, I'm so busy with my new job, and I tried to bring up my boyfriend as much as possible. I just kind of hoped and prayed it would stop and he would lose interest, and luckily he did. I never said anything to anyone because I was so new at the company and I didn't really have any close friends I felt like I could confide in, but I tried to keep my distance from him. So I didn't help out with his program for high schoolers over the summers 
even though a lot of my work friends were doing it. And I tried to not ever find myself alone in that lab. Every time I saw him, I would be polite, but not overly welcoming. And I just could never shake that weird feeling. Often as women, we have to modify our behavior to feel safe. This impacts our work, our extracurriculars, and our abilities to perform our role the same way men do. It's not fair, and it's not right. But sometimes, our modifications protect us from the worst. I thought I had successfully dodged him. Until, about a year later, my group chat with my friends started blowing up with tons of messages. The first was a link to an article in our local newspaper with the headline that a sex trafficking ring was discovered in a sting operation and many local men were involved. Names were named and the reason my friends were freaking out was because this man, the lab manager, the one who held a high position at our workplace, the one who ran a summer program for high schoolers with a security clearance was named as one of the people indicted. I was stunned, but also freaked out. I told them I needed to talk ASAP when we got to work. Once we got there over coffee, I told them the whole story, and I even pulled up all of the text messages I still had. One of my close friends was sure I missed a close call when I mentioned that the lab manager had tried to drive me home. And all of my friends said I should have reported the incessant text messaging to HR. But as a young woman at a new company, I was nervous to draw attention to myself and to go against someone who was seemingly so high up, so well connected. And I felt like I couldn't exactly report someone to HR for just sending too many text messages or giving me a weird feeling. We are fortunate that there are new movements of Time's Up and Me Too for future victims to feel empowered to speak up without fear of retribution. But a lot of the silence comes from years and years of powerlessness against high-level abusers who seem untouchable. We all kind of lost track of him after that. He was seemingly let go from the company because they took his name off of all of the websites and documents related to his high school program, and they appointed a new lab manager but we actually never knew what happened to him. You should always trust your instincts because sometimes bad people are hiding in plain sight, maybe even at the desk next to yours. Story two, Connie's Code Thief. The following story is about our co-host Connie who will convey her own experiences. Connie was interning at a research lab during the summer after her freshman year. She was very green, so this was her first taste of working in the professional world. I started my first internship during the summer after my freshman year of college. There, I met one of my coworkers, let's call her Mary, who was also a young professional, but I grew to know her as someone with a bubbly personality who really took me under her wing for my first internship ever. That summer, we had successfully completed our project, and the company offered me to work part-time on call which meant I would be available to chip into similar projects or wherever they needed throughout the semester. The opportunity to make money during the semester with flexible hours was a no-brainer for her, and she could work on a new project to continue building her resume. As the semester went on, 
we added a few new people to the team. Let's call them Julia and Peter. Together, they started on similar tasks as Mary and I had done over the summer. The project consisted of a few phases. First, it was a research or background information collection about whatever service we were providing. We were specifically testing the security of the service. Second would be setting up the testing environment and then developing our tests, which were run in scripts. And then from those results, we would harden the environment and kind of automate this entire process for a specific service for some client. So from our summer project, the team had projected around a three to four month timeline for the entire scope of this process. And this new team um, started a similar project around October, where I was, you know, during school, um, during the semester. And since I was part-time, I didn't have, you know, super good insight on what was going on during the semester. But I did have long winter breaks. So the company I worked at offered to let me join in at almost full-time during my winter break, just to get more experience under my belt and be able to contribute to my project more. Since Connie was only part-time, she didn't have full visibility into the project. After all, she was balancing a full school workload with her occasional internship contributions. But she was excited to jump back in and finish up the task with the rest of the team during her few weeks coming back full-time. So December rolls around and I'm on the same team with Mary and Peter. However, I just learned that Julia had been rolled off of the project right before I joined. And so at this time in December, it's been about three months into the project or so. And coming from my previous summer, I expected to be in like the later stages, automation, maybe the hardening phase, just kind of tying up some loose ends. Um, come to find out, they're still in the research phase. And this was really surprising to me because in my experience doing this project, it didn't take three months to kind of research the situation. Although it was a different project, it was a very similar life cycle as what we had done in, in the summer. And also something to note was that this team was under a different management than the summer one, so could have contributed to that. Anyways, I introduced myself to Peter since I hadn't really worked with him as much as I did with Mary and kind of continued chatting with Mary on the side. And she told me she was kind of allocated only like 20, 20-30% to this project. And Peter, also a full-time employee, was allocated 100%. At 25%, this means that Mary was likely balancing two to three projects and not dedicating much time to this particular task. Typically, at 25%, you're operating as an advisor to the project, which makes sense because Mary had successfully completed a similar project the summer before. Since Peter was 100% on the project, this means that his only tasking was for this particular project, and he should have been dedicating all of his time to the task. Mary was Connie's primary contact on the first project, so Peter would be primary this time around since he had the time. And I took this to mean that since they're both full-time employees, Peter would kind of be my main resource throughout my next few weeks over winter break, continuing throughout this process. As I continued on the research phase they were in, I really tried to ping Peter, no answer. Slacks, teams, really nothing. He barely showed up to our stand-ups, even if I'm remembering correctly. And at this point, our progress was very slow with just a full-time intern and a full-time employee working maybe 20% of the time and a full-time employee working 100%, but he wasn't really working 100% of the time. 
And so at this point, management, her higher up started kind of getting worried. You know, why is it taking three to four months and we're not really making progress? Which is very understandable. And Mary had mentioned to me that she had also been experiencing kind of the same issues with Peter and um, not being responsive and not really showing up to meetings and talked to our higher-ups about scheduling more of like a weekly internal meeting, just the team to kind of do a demo, update him on our progress, just to make sure we were on track with everything. So our progress in each meeting was measured. Um, we kind of did a demo of all the progress we were making, and so it would be like the number of test scripts we wrote for testing this specific service. Um, something to note, we also shared a Git repo that we each pushed our tests to so that they could all be compiled together. We would each write however many tests each day, push them up to the Git repo, and then that and the end of the week would just, you would run whatever. And since Mary had only been on the project 25% of the time around that, we pushed maybe like 10 tests, I pushed maybe around 20, something like that. Peter had pushed none. So for our weekly check-ins, Mary and I were fully confident. We were expecting to be like, aha, we got you. You didn't push any tests this week. And so like you have not done any of the work that you said you've been doing. So it came time for a weekly check-in for everyone to demonstrate their work. Mary successfully demonstrated her tests and Connie successfully demonstrated hers. Finally, it was Peter's turn. And so for our demo, we, you know, tested this um, system by running our tests and he pulled up a local version of these testing scripts and ran them and you know our management wasn't super involved in the day-to-day -day testing but Mary and I knew that when he ran these tests he was running the same code that I had that I had just pushed because they were producing the same results and they ran the same number of tests and to see that on the screen just completely shocked me I thought I was going crazy but Come to find out, Mary messaged me, did you see that? That's crazy. I can't believe you just took your work and didn't say anything, didn't give you any credit for what you did. And at that time, I was an intern. I didn't really know kind of what my position was in that project or what kind of say I had in that project. I was just there to get some experience and, you know, meet some people. Um, I was leaving in a few weeks. I really just didn't want to rustle anyone's feathers or make a bad impression on anyone. So Peter had stolen Connie's work and then presented it as his own, but management was completely oblivious to it all. And poor Connie, worried about her future hire ability, didn't want to make waves or put herself at risk for a few lines of code. So fast forward a year later, I learned that this same thing happened to Julie, the girl who rolled off the project right before me. Peter was also really unreachable and took credit for her work as well. At least this time, he stole the work of a full-time employee instead of an intern. At this point in time, I'm not really sure whatever happened to him, but I'm honestly kind of kicking myself for not saying anything at the time, just to make sure that this wouldn't happen to anyone else, and it's really easy for that kind of thing to go unnoticed if you don't speak up, especially having a man on your team and men in management looking at your tests and you don't want to speak up. It's a scary thing to do, but I wish I had done it. It's so hard as women to have to make the choice between speaking up and preserving your career. And we understand why you might not say anything. We already have so many things against us. Why would we take that risk and add one more? 
but we do still think about all the times we didn't speak up. At least I do. And sometimes those are what haunt us the most. Story three, we need to talk about Lawrence. The following story is about a former coworker who wishes to remain anonymous and will be conveyed by Lauren in the first person. Caroline had just started her first job out of college at a major financial institution. She was joining as an engineer in an already established team of 20 people. The first few days of onboarding were long, and I was tired of listening to corporate policies and agile delivery methods. There are only so many ways that I can listen to someone tell me how to organize a JIRA board before I just tune out. Needless to say, I was looking forward to meeting the team and to start writing code. At 25, she was starting her first job later than most, but doesn't regret the two years she took before starting college to travel and find herself. Living on my own in a country where I didn't speak the language taught me so much more about myself than I ever could have imagined. I actually met my future husband while I was traveling, and we'd gotten married the summer between graduation and starting my new job. I knew I was going to be older than most of the recent grads in my program, and I was anxious about fitting in and making friends. When it came time for Caroline to meet her team, there was one interaction that ruined her day. Hey, I'm Lawrence. I see you're married too. Has anyone told you that I'm in an open marriage yet? His introduction shifted Caroline's entire day. I was instantly uncomfortable and I had no idea how to respond. Was this a joke? Was I being pranked? Like, how do I even answer that? I looked around desperately, hoping that there would be someone nearby to help me out, but there was no one around. I was alone, I was uncomfortable, and I froze. It took a few seconds for my brain to reboot, and once it did, I tried to laugh it off and get out of the conversation. <laughs> That's great, I said, but I'm not. But Lawrence wouldn't take the hint. Maybe we can get lunch together sometime soon. How was it that in an office floor so full of desks you could hardly move without tripping over someone was suddenly empty? The elevators dinged and some of the women Caroline met earlier stepped out. I feigned a look at my wrist, where my invisible watch was keeping the time. I quickly scooped up my things and gave a non-committal, maybe, uh, sorry, I've got to run to a meeting, and I intercepted my teammates before they could reach our desks. I shot them a look and prayed that they could read my expression. Hey, Elizabeth and Marie, I'm ready for that meeting now. Thankfully, they grasped the situation and immediately followed me to the nearest conference room. Before I even had the door closed, Marie said, So, I see you've met Lawrence. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to warn you sooner. He really doesn't respect personal boundaries, and it can be a little creepy. He's mostly harmless, but he can't take a hint. The trick is to either ignore him or try to be in a group. He bothers me less when the whole team is here, Elizabeth added. It was in this moment that Caroline realized she would have to change her behavior to feel safe and make concessions for his inappropriate workplace behavior. After that, I swore I would do my best to avoid Lawrence. I didn't like the way his behavior made me feel. I changed my routine and went out of my way to avoid him. Unfortunately, this wasn't always successful, and I had more of these encounters. There was one time I was talking to Elizabeth, showing off a manicure I'd just gotten for an upcoming wedding, when out of nowhere, Lawrence came in and grabbed my hands and held my nails to his face. Oh my god, you have great nail beds. I used to do nails, so I know cuticles. This color is great for your skin tone, but it wouldn't work well for me at all. 
He moved my hand so it was framing his face, and he continued to speak. I tried to pull my hand away, but he wouldn't let it go. He continued to compliment my nails, and it wasn't until I forcibly pulled my hand back and said, You know, Lawrence, I really need my hand back to do my job, that he finally released my hand, but he just continued to hover near our desks. Lawrence would hover a lot. He would sit on a chair behind Caroline's desk, just far enough that he wasn't really in her conversation, but close enough that he could eavesdrop. One day when he came over, I was standing at my desk and I could just feel his eyes all over my back. And even though he didn't say anything, I still felt exposed and going forward, I made sure I was sitting anytime he came over. It didn't matter where I was in the office though, because he always seemed to find me. Walking to lunch with Marie one day, he came up behind me and said, How does it feel to have the best hair in the whole office? I just got my hair cut and I guess he was trying to compliment it, but the way he said it just made me feel gross and objectified. I had never wanted to regrow eight inches of hair so fast as I did in that moment. He didn't even wait for me to respond. He just started walking with us and said, I'm going to eat lunch with your group today. I felt trapped. This was work and I didn't think I could just refuse to sit with him when our friends clearly had a table waiting. So I picked a seat on the edge so I could put some distance between the two of us. I kid you not, he pulled up a chair across the table for me. I tried to ignore him and focus on the conversation. It was something about like the most interesting ways people made money in college. I shared that I participated in a cold and flu study. For $1,000, I took some probiotics, let them expose me to the flu virus, and then kept track of my symptoms. I never got sick and it was the easiest $1,000 I ever made, which is basically the money I lived off of that semester. I thought my story was pretty interesting, but of course, Lawrence had to top it. He proudly announced, I made thousands of dollars going to frat parties and selling condoms to drunk guys trying to take girls home. Immediately, the whole table got silent. And someone further down said, That's messed up, man. Not cool at all. Even if Lawrence's story was true, this was not appropriate conversation for work and made everyone uncomfortable. A million thoughts flashed through my brain at once. And all I kept coming back to, I need to leave. I need to leave. So I packed up my things and I went upstairs. I needed space to process and think. Like, that surely crossed a line, right? Should I say something? But who could I tell? Sure, most of the women near me avoided him, but the leadership team loved him. And what would my complaint even be? He made some jokes that made me feel weird. He touched my hand. He sits a little too close to my desk sometimes. I felt embarrassed to bring attention to something that felt so small in comparison to sexual harassment and other more blatant mistreatment in the workplace. I felt silly putting myself in the same category, and I was scared to tell someone who could do something about it because each incident sounded really silly in my head. Harassment is about how your behavior makes someone feel regardless of intention. Even someone who is perceived as harmless and just weird or odd or not a culture fit can still cause damage that impact your ability to feel safe at work and harm your performance. It doesn't matter if it's one large action or many small actions repeated over months or years. There was clearly a pattern of behavior that made me feel uncomfortable and unsafe, but 
At the time, I couldn't recognize it as harassment. The situation was ultimately resolved when my boss overheard some of us complaining about Lawrence's behavior. He asked us if we would share our stories, and once we started talking, we realized that this was a systemic issue and not an isolated incident that actually needed to be addressed. His behavior was reported, but Lawrence actually left the company on his own terms before the HR process even concluded. Lawrence didn't respect boundaries and did a lot of mini harassments. They were all so small that even though it made Caroline feel uncomfortable, she didn't really recognize Lawrence's actions as harassment. She was embarrassed to come forward and didn't know how to categorize her experiences. It wasn't until Caroline talked it through with her boss that she realized how systemic and large the problem was. Story 4. Panic at the Metro the following story is about a former coworker who wishes to remain anonymous and will be conveyed by Lauren in the first person. One cold January evening, Priya just finished up work late to fix a vulnerability in her code and had to run to catch the metro. It was nearing the end of rush hour, and if she didn't hurry, it could be at least 20 minutes until the next train came. She checked the schedule on Google Maps and realized she only had about five minutes to pack her stuff and sprint the quarter mile to her stop. I threw on my winter coat and hat, grabbed my backpack, and started running towards the station. I made it to my platform right as the train pulled up. Even though it was 6.30, it was still pretty crowded, so I had to stand. I only live four stops away from the office, but after a long day, Standing for the entire eight-minute commute was exhausting. I didn't even pull out my phone to distract myself. All my focus was on staying upright. The metro is the commuter rail in the DMV, that's DC, Maryland, Virginia, metro area. It averages about 626,000 rides each weekday, with most of those riders traveling during the morning and evening rush hours. It's not uncommon for riders to be packed into a car, holding onto whatever they can for balance. When Priya got off the train, she pulled out her phone and saw a new friend request on Facebook with a pending message. That's weird. Like, who even uses Facebook anymore? And I sort of just assumed that my grandparents had been hacked again. I quickly scanned the message, prepared to delete it, when my blood went cold. Hey, Priya. The message started. It was so nice to meet you on the train today. I'm hoping that we can connect again and maybe get something to eat next time. It seems like we have similar schedules. What? <laughs> I didn't speak to anyone on the train, and I was bundled up because of the cold. How did this person find me on social media? She frantically tapped his profile, trying to learn anything to help her pick him out in a crowd. But he was just a generic guy with a government job, which meant he could be anyone around her. I started to panic. Was he stalking me? Was he waiting until I left the station so he could follow me home? I didn't know what to do, and I was scared, and I was alone. I needed a plan to get home safely. I decided to call Sharon, my girlfriend who lived out of state, so at least I could be on the phone with someone if something happened. I called her and loudly talked about how excited I was for our dinner plans, and that I was so sorry I was running late. She obviously knew something was wrong, but played along and didn't press me for details. She asked me where I was and looked up the closest restaurant to the station and told me how to get there. 
She told me to go straight to the bathroom and have a guy friend walk me home from there. So that's what I did. She stayed on the phone with me while I waited in the bathroom and we brainstormed how the creep could have found me. It didn't make any sense. I didn't talk to anyone and I didn't recognize him from work. We also didn't have any mutual follows or friends, so it wasn't a friend who could have pointed me out to him. I was pacing around the small bathroom trying to think through this. Priya caught a glimpse of herself in the mirror and she looked rough. I was disheveled from hurrying away from the crowd at the metro. Hoping it would make me feel better, I finger combed my hair, splashed some cold water on my face, and smoothed my clothes. I was adjusting my pants when my hand knocked into something on my pocket. She looked down and realized she was still wearing her work badge with her full name and picture clipped to her jeans and facing out. She had a light bulb moment. He must have seen her badge on the train and looked her up. I felt so stupid. I normally take my badge off when I leave the building, but in my hurry to get to the station, I must have forgotten. Work always tells us to take off our badges for safety, and honestly, I assumed it was for security purposes within the building. I never really considered how it could affect my personal safety. That time, everything was okay. My friend walked me home, and I blocked the guy, and I never heard from him again. But I always wonder what could have happened, and I think that's what haunts me the most. We recommend keeping your badge and other personally identifiable information, or PII, hidden and put away in public if you can. This is an extreme case, and probably unlikely to happen, but it's better to try and take precautions when possible. Story 5. John's Bad Hair Day The following story is about a mutual friend who wishes to remain anonymous and will be conveyed by Danny, Lauren's husband. John identifies as a man, and at the time of this incident, he was about 23 years old, attending his third ShmooCon back in 2017. If you've never been or have never even heard of ShmooCon, it's a hacker conference in Washington, D.C. that's extremely hard to get tickets for. With that being said, it's great for aspiring security professionals. For example, ShmooCon hosts a Schmooze a Student program where students can submit applications to attend the conference and, when admitted, obtain a stipend along with a free ticket. For John, it facilitates a college reunion where current students and alumni of years past network together without ego. Today, he is now one of those alumni, passing down industry lessons learned like those who mentored him. ShmooCon provided a community that I could grow and develop into. In those days, I wasn't very confident in my technical skills, mainly focusing on small hacky side projects like manipulating polling sites posted by my favorite Twitch streamers with the Python requests module and a public proxy list to ensure that my choice was the only choice. Every conference has closing ceremonies where they award winners of various vendor-sponsored competitions, acknowledge charity donations, detail the previous day's successes and failures, and in Shmukan's case, a 500-plus person game of rock, paper, scissors for hacker prizes, mostly books. After the closing ceremonies, attendees of my college would take a group photo, one that I didn't want to miss. Normally, I would sit with some friends, but I was late to the closing ceremonies, so I had to hurry to take a seat in the front but off to the side by myself. I couldn't see the projectors very well from this spot, so it was no surprise that these lousy seats were open. I was pretty disinterested in what was being presented, so I was heads down messing with my phone. It wasn't too long after taking a seat that my neck began to itch. I thought nothing of it, gave it a scratch, and continued with my mindless phone usage. The feeling came back again, but this time higher on my hairline and with less of an itch and more of a touch. My hair was being twirled. I then realized that first feeling wasn't an itch, 
but an unwanted touch by one of the three goth-looking men behind me. One of them had done this, already looking in my direction, staring and giggling as I had turned around. Can I fucking help you? I said, not one to be quick to anger, but at that moment I felt no other emotion. One with a smirk, and the other two deadpan, not saying a word. After a few moments of tense silence, shocked by their lack of acknowledgement of what had just happened, I felt the need to say something, anything, to either start a conversation or get a reaction. Are we going to have a problem? The two deadpan men began to whisper to one another, but none of them addressed me. I stayed in my seat, and my mind began to race about what to do if it were to happen again. Scanning for a nearby goon, I thought about what I might say to them. Should I say anything at all? It probably wouldn't happen again, right? Do I need to physically defend myself to get them to stop? What would my dad think if I let these guys touch me without consequence? That's the manly thing to do, right? Goon is a title given to conference volunteers. They are clearly marked should someone need assistance. So I thought to myself, let's not make a scene and draw attention to something so embarrassing. Staying calm, cool, and collected is what really leads to your desired outcome. I'll tell a goon, and if they don't handle it, I will. I began to calm down and felt decent enough to stay in the seat for the remainder of the closing ceremonies. They didn't bother me again. When everyone had started to get up and leave, I noticed that they had already left, likely some time ago. It was time for the picture, but I wasn't ready to smile. Our industry has a lot of eccentric people in it. It's not all suit, tie, clean cut. The feeling of community can attract people who might be considered social outcasts and give them a home and a sense of belonging. While this is a positive thing, set your boundaries. Be aware of where the goons are, and if someone is making you uncomfortable, let someone know. Try to remove yourself from them and travel with a buddy when you can. Trigger warning. This story discusses sexual assault. To seek help for you or others, please visit rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot org. Or call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. Story 6. Friend of the Band. This story actually came out when Rebecca and I were interviewing our good friend, Tracy. She's an experienced hacker who loves to attend conferences all over the world, including, of course, DEF CON. DEF CON is the biggest hacker gathering in the world with over 30,000 attendees and is held annually in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Because it usually occurs at the end of the summer, it's lovingly called Hacker Summer Camp by many. It has multiple tracks and small villages with competitions like DEF CON CTF, Hack Fortress, Lockpicking, and many, many talks by world-renowned researchers on their latest exploits. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I've been to several many a DEF CON and usually they're great. And like I said, my husband's also in the industry. So we usually we're going together and um, I have a lot of friends who, you know, hacker summer camp's a big deal. So hanging out there is usually great. And I'm usually with people. Since DEF CON is a large gathering of cybersecurity talent, many vendors and companies will host large parties and networking events to retain and recruit employees. Parties are, are, I love parties, right? I, I love having a good time. I love dancing. I love singing. 
And earlier I mentioned male allies have really like covered me in some really awkward situations. So there's no happy or good way to get into this. So I was at a party um, that I had been to the years before as well. So I knew it was a good party. It was going to be fun. It was going to have good alcohol. There's a pool table, you know, all kinds of good things. So my husband and I went with our other friend. So we were hanging out and if there's a dance floor, I'm either going to be on stage singing, <laughs> singing along, dancing along, or, you know, dancing right up front. Cause that's just part of who I am. So, um, I was dancing with some newfound friends on the dance floor. And um, I was wearing a very short skirt because, you know, I work hard for this body. <laughs> Oftentimes, women are blamed for what happens to them based on what they were wearing or what they were doing, as if they asked for it. And this is completely abhorrent. We will not blame the victim for the actions of the aggressor. So I was wearing, you know, a party outfit and I... I was dancing with this guy and and totally cool someone came up behind me and like uh, uh so you i'm used to like the walk by ass grab that's an uncomfortable truth but this person actually like put his finger inside of me so um yeah that was a very uncomfortable situation and i like i said i am used to i'm used to the ass grab thing um but, and I like grabbed his hand and squeezed it and I just didn't know what to do. I just was like, my husband, well then boyfriend was like over somewhere else at this party. I like didn't really know the people I was with. I just didn't, I had no idea what to do, uh, which is not something I personally am used to. I'm usually like a take action type person. So let's talk about reflexes. When you're in danger, it's fight, flight, or freeze but it's actually not up to you how your body will respond. You may think that you would be the first person to put up a fight, but oftentimes we completely lose control of our bodies and we don't know how they'll react when they're in danger. Please don't blame yourself for not defending yourself or reacting how you would have wanted to in a situation. Remember, you're the victim and you don't deserve any of the blame. So the freeze reflex was just not at all something I was expecting. And I was literally there because like this was my last year after going to back to college, right? But anyway, I was looking for, you know, places to potentially work and I was looking at this company. Um, so I definitely made sure to get to that party. And it was just such a like, what is, what is happening moment that I like didn't even know how to process it. So like, I did go tell my husband what happened, but I didn't like tell anyone in charge or anything. Um, but I'm, I am extraordinarily thankful for this, for the, how this was handled because the years prior I had made friends with the band that was playing and sang on stage with them and they saw what happened. And the drummer immediately called the bouncer over and was like, this guy needs to go. And, and so they like came and asked me what he looked like. And I was like, I don't know. And I, you know, vague description of white dude at DEF CON party. And the two people that I was dancing with were like, this is the guy he needs to go. So like, I, even though I didn't know what to do and my body was just like frozen and uncomfortable. So many, several people around me really handled that for me. And I'm, ext I'm extremely thankful for allies for several reasons. Uh, and that is one of them. And yeah, I just like, I was still processing it. And I was like, I don't know if this is a thing. I don't know if I'm like overreacting. I don't know. It's, it was a, a whole 
experience. Um, and DEF CON gets a bad rap for things like that sometimes, but I really just the people who, the band, people I was dancing with, the owner, the person who was running the party, the bouncer, like they all, they were on top of it. And I am, I felt, I now feel pretty darn safe when I go to a lot of these things because like people know me, they recognize me. They say like, I know people have my back, but not everyone is a Tracy. Not everyone is like, oh, let me go make fans with the band. Like, especially in InfoSec, a lot of women are like quieter. A lot of people in InfoSec are quieter, right? And so like, what would I have done if I, if I didn't have that previous experience? And that's the shitty thing. Like, just because I was wearing a very short skirt and just because I was like at a party dancing, like the, none of those things, none of those things are an excuse to actually like touch me. <laughs> you do not have a right to my body. And I still like will go to cons especially and go up and dance on the stage and hang out with people. And I think it's it's an interesting thought to like thought experiment, if you will, to think about like, well, how much of that is is a conditioned response to needing to be visible, to like not have something happen. I was also raised to be paranoid, so you know, there's that. <laughs> Even grown, accomplished, secure, and confident women can be targeted for sexual assault. Our takeaways here are please don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. And we are so, so grateful to those allies who do speak out on our behalf. Story seven, the Grinch who wasn't green. The following story is about a 16-year-old high school sophomore who wishes to remain anonymous and will be conveyed by Diana in the first person. It's fall. Grace's sophomore year, and she is participating in a voluntary STEM outreach program at her school. I was a sophomore in high school, and I never had any cybersecurity experience, but I really wanted to learn more about the field. I heard about it in articles, and I really was always interested in computers. So I signed up for a cybersecurity course at my high school, and I was the only girl out of seven senior boys. I was a sophomore, 16, 15-year-old girl out of a bunch of senior boys who at that point in their educational careers had given up. A lot of them didn't really show up to class except for like one or two. Being the only woman or one of the only women in a computer course is not an uncommon experience. At times, you can feel out of place or like you don't belong. The teacher in this class was very, very odd. I like to describe him as being the Grinch, but not green. He had terrible hygiene, had crusty energy. I didn't see any visible crust on him, but he gave crusty. He always kind of reeked, and he had very small, odd behaviors that made me uncomfortable over my one year in the course. And also, this course was every morning for 90 minutes. I woke up and I started my day at 7.30 in the morning with this course for about nine months. He would do very strange, small things that at the time I didn't know were wrong. He would ask about if I had a boyfriend or ask about my dating life, comment on what I was wearing, if I was wearing a skirt and tell me that I look good. If he was helping me with like a hardware computer software issue, he wouldn't stand next to me while I was sitting and help me. He would stand behind me and then put his arms around me to reach the keyboard or whatever hardware stuff he was doing, which was completely unnecessary and kind of odd. It made me uncomfortable and it made going in every morning, every 90 minutes kind of scary for me. A teacher is considered a caregiver. Behavior, like what Grace has stated, is considered sexual exploitation of a minor. The teacher touching her in any way is considered sexual abuse. While one could argue the touching had no sexual purpose, like touching an arm is different than, say, the stomach or leg, which might have more sexual impact, this behavior displayed by Grace's teacher is assaultive, grooming, 
and predatory. He kept insisting a couple months into the year that we should all go on a field trip to micro center without telling the school, no forms, no permission slips, nothing. We just go out without telling anyone in his van. We come back before the next period and, you know, his house is right next to the micro center so we could stop by there and grab a snack and we won't have to tell anyone. And he kept insisting that we do that. We never did, but it was, it was very odd. Adults, especially your teachers, should never ask you to keep secrets from other adults. They should never ask you to leave the school with them without consent from your parents. One time, he gave me the keys to his van, and he told me to get the pastries. So I left the classroom and to the parking lot and went to his van, right? And it's not even a minivan, it's like a proper van. And I open up the trunk, and the trunk is like empty, except for the front by the trunk door was the box of danishes and over the box of danishes was like a paper grocery bag of lacy bras and lingerie it was very strange i didn't really know what to make of it so i just picked up the grocery bag and put it next to the pastries and grabbed the pastries and walked into class and i didn't really say anything about it the sexual suggestive nature of grace seeing the lingerie suggests grooming behavior it was a bunch of small stuff like this that happened over the span of a year and at the time i didn't know it was wrong or weird he never like did anything super physical or super like assault like to me but i was 16 and i didn't realize that it wasn't okay to do all this stuff right like you walk into school every day scared and uncomfortable by the end of it i was depressed and i gained all this weight and i lost all these friends i'm lashing out at my parents all the time i feel horrible about myself it's the reality of, of starting your first 90 minutes of your day stressed and worried and uncomfortable and not really understanding why not having the language or the ability to express that and get help or get any form of support without really going out of your comfort zone grace wasn't emotionally mature enough to understand what she was going through but she displayed signs of sexual victimization. She gained weight, she acted out to her parents, her grades started to slip, and she isolated herself from her friends. But it kind of all built up towards the end of the year where each class in that particular STEM department, the teacher for each class would pick a student of the year. And at that point, I had completely began slacking off in this course, stopped giving any amount of energy or time to it. I was depressed. I really should have gotten like a C in that course, but I think because the teacher liked me, he just favored me and gave me an A. But there was one kid who did show up a lot and did really try. And you could tell that he really wanted this award. Even on that day, like you don't know if you got the award until like the award ceremony and that day he like dresses up. Everyone thought he was going to get it. When it came time to announce the Student of the Year Award, the school gathered for an assembly and the teachers lined up on stage to announce the winners. Grace sat in her seat, watching the deserving boy wait expectantly for his name to be called. And then for some reason, I get it. I have to go up in front of the entire school feeling horrible because I got this award because the teacher favored me. Um, I could see the kid in the back sad. You could tell visibly that he was super upset about it. I, the entire time, was like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Why is he giving it to me? He had me hug him in front of the entire school on video and take a picture with me with his arm all around me. And I just remember feeling so icky and gross. I got something that I didn't deserve by this man that I absolutely hated that made me feel uncomfortable for an entire year. And not only that, he was the only teacher who had the administration of the school call up my parents and tell them to come to the award show. So my parents, without telling me, were at the front row with a bouquet of flowers beaming at me so proud. But in my stomach, I felt so gross and horrible. And like, I took something away from someone else. And this 
teacher made me like hug him in front of the entire school and pretend that I was happy when the entire year I had learned nothing. I felt horrible. Instead of feeling pride and a sense of accomplishment, Grace felt ashamed, undeserving, and embarrassed to not only get an award she did not feel like she deserved, but to have this teacher touch her in front of not only the entire student body, but her parents as well. She felt her parents had this false sense of pride because they had no idea of the truth of what she was going through. I like lost a huge sense of myself that took me a few years to build up and relearn and find that peace again. And I remember afterwards, I completely lashed out with my parents. I didn't have the emotional intelligence or ability to explain to them why. I just lashed out at them. Looking back on it, I wish there were communities like Her Hacks or like any of those girls who code, women in computer science, women in cybersecurity organizations, or any like mentors. I wish I had any particular like mentors at the time that could like walk me through that and be like, yo, that's wrong and get like the help that they need. Groomers can target young people who are afraid to speak out when someone makes them feel uncomfortable. It can be a series of escalations that build up over time, can do serious harm to your self-esteem, and impact your learning and sense of belonging. Being able to have a safe community of women to confide in can prevent gaslighting or questioning the legitimacy of your feelings and give you the confidence to speak out and seek safety. The world can be a scary place. And honestly, InfoSec can be a pretty toxic field to work in. You may be thinking, why the hell would I join this field after listening to this episode? At the end of the day, this is just one of the most interesting fields to be in. And for every person that sucks, there are tons of really amazing people uplifting you, encouraging you, and supporting you. Yes, tonight we highlighted the bad, but there is a lot of good. The hard part can be finding the community of people who are there for you and to support you in those bad times. We created the HerHacks community to provide a safe place for us to support each other and to get help through these harrowing experiences, especially because it can be hard to find that community when you're the only woman in the room. So please join our Discord and start building your own community. If you have a story that you want to share with us, email us at hello at herhackspodcast.com to be featured in our Discord or on a future podcast episode. Thank you for listening to our Halloween special. Follow us at herhackspodcast, that's herhacks with an X for execute permission, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a future episode drop and leave us a star for each of our lovely hosts that's five, with an encouraging review. Click the join link for our Discord in our show notes or at herhackspodcast.com to let us know what you think about this episode and also engage with me and the other co-hosts. We at Her Hacks wish you a happy Halloween. It's not your fault. You're not crazy and you're not alone. <laughs>